everyone, and welcome to the Information Entropy Podcast, where we try to take some science, squish it into an hour-long show, and hopefully make it less confusing than it was at the beginning. This week, we're diving into one half of the Barbenheimer Spectacular. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at InfoEntropyPod, Instagram, InformationEntropyPod, and of course, whichever directory you're listening to this on right now, if you can give us a like, rating, follow, comment, whatever it is, it helps us out absolutely massively and helps us improve the show for you i'm tom jenks joined as per usual by mitchell gatting how are you mate i'm doing good thank you how are you good yeah yeah not too bad not too bad i just really we, uh, you said we're doing one half of the barbenheimer like, yeah we're not doing the other half <laughs> we have no plans we're doing the other half well i'm not yeah. even sure how we can swing it and be like the science of polymers Maybe. Well, we, we could do the science plastic. of plastics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think what also we could do is the like socioeconomic science of the patriarchy. I don't think we have the <laughs> qualifications uh, to be able to form, form that big man. No, neither do I. And I, I think two cis white males speaking about the patriarchy mm. probably isn't the most appropriate mm. thing yes. either. Agreed. Um, Agreed. So we'll, we'll, still, we'll, we'll stay in our lane. Yeah. We'll stay in our lane with that. Like the world um, doesn't need two more cis white men doing a podcast about things they definitely have no reason to be talking <laughs> about. Um, so instead we're gonna speak about nuclear fission. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something we're definitely qualified to speak about. Yeah. Um have you seen Barbie or Oppenheimer yet? Uh no, I haven't, and I'm not going to see either. Oh, uh, okay. In the cinema, I yeah. I will will see probably I watch Barbie when it comes out, and I can yeah. see it in my own home, uh, and then Mr. Noland notoriously is absolutely bad at sound design because I've, I've said I think it's you oh, that I said yeah. I had this issue with, and I would refuse to go to the cinema to see Christopher Nolan movie. Purely based on his track record of not being able to do like decent audio production to the point where uh, when we watch Tenant, there's a a scene where they're going out to the windmills at sea, the turbines. Yeah. And they're, they're having a really detailed conversation that you really should know what's going on on the outside of the boat. And they decided not to turn down the sound of the sea. So you spend the whole time like, what are they? What are they saying? I can't. I can't like turning the subtitles on to be like, what are they saying? Yeah, um, yeah. That's but it's fair. not just that. He's done it in other movies. Like, do you remember they had to redo uh, Bane's voice lines? Yes, from Batman. Yeah, yeah just yeah. like I just don't think he gives a shit about it to be honest. So we'll I think see. he's slightly notorious for it. He wants to add a bit of realism in, but like. Yeah, as you say, it doesn't take out the surrounding effects. Um, yeah, it's like yeah. they have that in they have that in like video games and stuff. It's like there's there's a line between hyperrealism and actually a fun playable experience. Like, <laughs> yeah, we get you want to do real, but it has to be watchable. So, That's yeah. fair. So with I'm, me I'm sure as well, with my slightly neurospicy tendencies. Neurospicy. Um, I'll put that one in when- the word bank. That's going when I <laughs> when I when there's like background noise, let's say I'm at a restaurant and I'm trying to speak with someone. Yes, uh, that mm. background noise really takes over a lot of my stimulus censoring capabilities, and I find it really hard to detract, take like filter that out and listen to the person I'm speaking to. Mm-hmm. Um, led to many issues over the years uh, until I figured out what was happening. Uh, so that's fun. But I, that happens in films with me as well. And I wonder if just like your neurotypicals out there don't find this as abrasive during Christopher Nolan films. Yeah. So but yeah, like, I'll, I'll, I'll go see it and I'll report back to you. restaurants that I refuse to go back to because acoustically it's like being punched in the ears for like yeah. two hours straight. Yeah. And it's like, I can have a great time, but I just need to sit in silence. Yeah. Or just be like, <laughs> just like I'm just gonna eat my food. This food is amazing. Where? But just it happened not recently, expect. and I was like, never, never again. Am I coming here? Over the mad. weekend, I I went for a um 
a meal as part of the workshop uh, I, I, I was attending. And we went to a restaurant and, you know, there was 16 of us at the table. I was like, right, I'm just going to speak to the person who's literally sat next to me because otherwise I'm just not going to be able to understand or just coherently speak to anyone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just how it goes. It's just, it's just how, you know, it's just how it goes. It's how and it goes. Some people can enjoy that and endure it. And then it causes other people to completely disassociate and just pay attention to the food and then get out of there. My problem is I love dissociating. Great pastime. Uh, also, <laughs> I just love food. So when you give me the option to do both, I'm, I'm going to take that option. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I yeah. also get accused of dissociating when I'm I'm doing my my spy, like pretending you're a spy and being like, all right, the exits are here, here, here. Like, here's the cameras. Uh, because you've just gone like here's, full internal mode. Yeah, like here, yeah. here, here are the people that I need to be careful of. Um, anybody suspicious, and then I'll come back in the room and then look at the menu. Yeah, just yeah. just that is that dissociating or is that just full internal? It's almost no, like, see, a, a, like like I definitely I get accused of dissociating, but I'm not. I see. I'm yeah, being a, I'm I'm spy man. Do do <laughs> other people just not get that then? What? Because to me, I completely understand. Like, oh, you just get so internal that you kind of forget the outside world exists, and then you come back and you carry on with what you were doing. I don't think usual people do. Uh, typical people is 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 the better term. Not usual. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, if you have absolutely zero idea what we're speaking about. Get in touch. <laughs> get in um, touch. I'd like to know what that's like. Yeah, tell us what it's like to live a, a typical life when you go <laughs> out for like food and drink. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> um, anyway, so I saw Barbie the other day. That was oh, yeah, good. Was that? It wasn't an assault on their senses. No. Um, I say the other day. It was yesterday. Uh, Visually, yeah, though, no. like the pink. Um, it's a lot, but I think it's meant to be a lot. Mm. And it was actually, you know, they're saying the quiet bit out loud with a bit of ambiguity on there. But uh, it was really good, um, I thought, actually, surprisingly. Uh, Cast, absolutely fantastic as well. Um, Yeah, would recommend, would recommend. It It opens with a 2001 Space Odyssey parody. Yes. And all of the dads in the cinema were getting a good chuckle out of that. Um, It's a shame it's a mediocre movie. (laughs) Just riling up my listeners. Come on, get them angry. <laughs> get them angry. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, right. Um, this week, before we get on to the the, the Oppenheimer side side of the, the spectacular, um, last week I said I mean, that I'd promise you guys an inside scoop on how companies, oh. pharmaceutical companies, may Naming name their drugs. Mm. Um, so I'm going to do that instead of news, since we've already spoken for nine minutes about. Uh, being neurospicy. So, <laughs> and normally it just takes us 40 minutes to get to the topic sometimes. So I'm going to try and avoid that. Um, so, let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. Um, let's pretend I am a drug company in its entirety. Yeah. Uh, I've gone through quite a bit of testing with uh, my current drug and I'm currently conducting some large-scale human trials. At this point, where I think it's got quite a good chance of getting to market the drug, that is, uh, this is where I'll start to come up with a name. And you may think, oh, is this actually that important? Do we need to brainstorm this? Can I just give it a, like a bunch of numbers? And names often internally will be a bunch of serial numbers. Um, but if you think about drugs that we know quite well, so like Nurofen is quite a good example. That's actually just a brand name for the drug. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually just an ibuprofen brand, right? Ibuprofen. Um, but they'll actually charge quite a bit more than other like store brand ibuprofen. And it's exactly the same thing. But they can get away with that because it's like, oh, quick release, all these other things. Sure, but in reality, it's exactly the same thing. Um, but people trust the brand, so they're able to charge charge more for it. Um, yeah. So there's absolutely nothing different. This is one thing that just, Drives my gears when I can't get to like the when the basic 
uh, store brand has run out of like paracetamol. So you have to buy the named brand and it's like two pounds yeah. more. And I'm just like, I'm so angry. I'm so angry at the charging this, even though I know it's exactly the same. There's no yeah. change. It's like Bourbons and custom <laughs> creams, which I realize is I'd a very say that, British... I'd say this is different. No, no, I no, would no, say no. this is it's slightly different. It's the same. So <laughs> custom creams are all made in the same factory, right? Where every single one? Yeah. One Ever. Other, no, okay. I mean, there's one manufacturer of custard creams, right? And then they distribute it and they send it to different packaging places where uh, supermarkets can put their own branding or whatever on it. But they are all made the same. Oh. So there are many of the like premium custard creams that cost £1.50 and you've got like Tesco. I was going to call it Tesco Fire, but it's not that cool to that anymore, is it? Um, no. Value? Uh which is like 20p for a pack exactly the same and if you think they taste oh, okay. different it's placebo and you're, you're psychologically doing yourself a disservice like it's it, they're just the same oh i didn't know that i would say it's slightly different with bourbons though because sometimes you get like fat bourbons thin bourbons creamy bourbons uh, i'd say bourbons have a bit more variety in them but yeah i had no idea they're all produced in the same place yeah okay so like yeah it's, it's exactly like and like if you're getting hay fever just get the cheapest ones you can because you got to think within cooking even though they were made in the same factory perhaps they could change an ingredient you never know yeah but with like drugs and stuff they literally are not allowed to give you anything but the specified compound that it's been tested for uh so yeah always the same thing um so the idea phase would be like the first phase of naming this is where we come up with um ideas sometimes it's quite relevant to the product uh neurofen is quite a good example of that it's got fen in the product so you in the brand name so you kind of know it's related to an ibuprofen substance sometimes it's completely irrelevant and we'll come on to some of those later um it then moves on to the legal phase so lawyers will check if the names uh, are patented or not by other companies or uh, other people have put in uh, applications for the names or something similar this then gets tested so through the use of phonics so can people easily say the thing does it sound pleasing is it pleasing to say do you build up mental connections between this and, and the drug all that kind of stuff and marketing research how do people react to this kind of names and then what i found was quite surprising was who actually makes the decision when it comes down to it um and there doesn't seem to be any particular formula um so sometimes it's just a random management person sometimes it's a marketing person and of course this could change between companies i'm sure uh i've even heard or my source uh has even received a survey just going around the office which one they prefer um so sometimes it, it's even done uh done through that then it comes to actually submitting the drug for approval and you can only submit the drug for approval for the specific testing that you have done. So say if you've got a cancer drug, but it works both on lungs and kidneys. If you've only done the testing for kidneys, you can only submit it for use of kidneys. And you'd have to submit it separately for lung use uh, once you've tested for that as well. And basically what happens is you submit it to the FDA, the FUG, the FUG, the FUG, uh, the Food and Drug Administration in the USA, or the EMA, which is the European Medicines Agency in the EU. And you also submit your name to them, so not just the, the drug. And now, apparently, the European Medicines Agency are a lot more picky about the names that they will accept for use on the market. So often, drug companies will send an application to the EMA first, and once it's been approved, they'll then send it off to the FDA because they'd want to have a bit of continuity across the two uh, continents. And I think this is why the ADHD drug Ritalin and there's the, there's the UK name. No, that is the UK name, isn't it? Adderall yeah, is the American name, right? Yeah. Um, no. All the way around? What, are they just completely... No, I think it's Ritalin here. Adderall versus Ritalin. Let's see. Oh, no, they're just completely different. Okay. Um, but I think to... in the UK, you're more likely to be prescribed Ritalin, or at least that's how it was 10, 15 years ago. I've got, um, there's, there's actually a really interesting story, uh, a funny story about uh, Ritalin. I don't know. Oh, yeah. uh, there's a guy at uni 
um, thought that he was just like he internalized that he thought he was a bit dumb his whole life and he struggled with concentrating uh, tried really hard at school managed to get into uni seemed to have to try harder than everybody else to get by always struggling to, to concentrate uh, and one night he went on a night out bender with his mates uh, and they were all doing you know drugs so yeah. uh, one of these drugs being Ritalin, essentially, because if you give it okay. to a, a normal, uh, sorry, normal, apologies, a typical person without ADHD, it has some weird effect on them. It's a stimulant, keep them going. Yeah, it's basically speed. Yeah, so it's basically speed. So they were all like, all his mates were getting, you know, pumped up. He took it and had a, a sudden sense of like serene, could think straight. And it turns out the whole time, he had ADHD. And this, severe. Severe ADHD. Wow. And this, this chance encounter with Ritalin was like, oh, this is how typical people think. Like, I can get things in order in my brain. And then, yeah, after that, went and found a doctor and got diagnosed and then managed to pass quite well his degree. I was like, yeah, oh, brilliant. I think um, it's one of those things that really can be like debilitating, but because you're not speaking about how you think right, why would yeah, you ever people, think yeah people don't what you have is different it's kind of like the synesthesia talk we've had before yes synesthesia is where people well one form of it i'll just go for the one form so we're not here for hours every time they see a letter it could be paired with a color so an a is always green an s mm. is always blue a d is always uh green did i say green i don't know yellow um but unless you're actually speaking about the letters and their associated color, which doesn't happen very often because for neurotypicals, that's not the case. Why would you ever think that's not normal? Because you experience that, right? Um, unless you're actually speaking about, oh, yeah, I, I love the color green that comes with an A. Then a neurotypical person might be like, what are you on about? And then mm. you find out you have synesthesia. But people go through the majority of their lives never even figuring it out. And it can be similar with things like ADHD. Uh, you just kind of tell yourself oh, that everyone else is managing, so I'll be fine as well. Um, so, strange. back to yeah, strange is internal thinking. the, uh, what do you call it? Where were we? <laughs> back to the naming of drugs. I mean, we always talk about, like, we, we feel like it should be in schools. But I feel like there should be, like, not a test, but, like, a group of questions or whatever about how people think. Yeah, because like people with, um, I, I work with someone who's uh, was aphantasic. Oh who, yeah, yeah, and she didn't realize for like till she was at uni that people were like weren't just like saying things as like idiosms. Like imagine a thing in your head. She was just like, yeah, that's no, that's not a thing. They're just saying it until she talked to someone. And they were like, no, no, you actually do like picture something in your head. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what, like, what I didn't realize till the other day was how normal people, like, have habits. So, like, a habit for typical. a normal person is they're like, oh, yeah, sorry, neurotypical, a typical person. Yeah. Um, they may be like, oh, I'm going to go clean my teeth. They get to the bathroom and they just kind of get on with their routine, right? Right. Apparently. <laughs> uh, whereas <laughs> I really have to talk myself to go, like, right, yeah, this needs to be done. And then I talk myself through each step in a routine to make sure I'm on track and doing the things. Apparently that's not normal, not typical. <laughs> you say that out loud um, when you say you talk, you talk yourself through it. But yeah, no, no it's in my head. It's it. like, uh, yeah, now I need to go clean my teeth. So I, I better do that. Yeah. It's probably a good idea to do that. Uh, and then you get into the bathroom, like, right. Toothbrush, toothpaste, you start counting. Whereas, like, people just... Ah, oh, I don't have to count. I've got an electric toothbrush. It does a, a, a quad oh, vibrate when it's, been, when it's been my two minutes. Oh, nice. I, um, for the longest time, apparently... it vibrated at, like, random... I thought it was random intervals until I Googled it. And it was like, no, it vibrates when you need to move from, like, top to bottom, then inside and out. So it vibrates four uh, times, and then there's a quad... 30-second intervals. Yeah, yeah. so, like, do your top and your bottoms. Yeah, that was good. That makes sense. Um, but apparently, sense. typical people... When they get into like a habit or routine, it's something they actively don't need to think about. We said about the whole last episode about the knowing, not knowing, knowing, and then you just do it. Yeah. 
I think it's like that. Yeah, I don't think I ever have that last day. <laughs> um, well, I do with some things, but like a lot of things, I, re- I really have to work myself through it. Um, mm. 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 Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the EMA, uh, European Medicines Agency, they're a bit picky, a uh, bit of a painful process. But once you get approved with them, your name approved with them, you'll move on to the FDA, which is the, uh, in the US, the Food and Drug Administration, and then other boards are normally a, a bit better with it um so yeah i went to the ema website and downloaded an excel file that listed all the application withdrawals to look at to see what other kind of names people are introducing right now like, so this is from july 2023 mm-hmm. um and to see so i just picked out one example of something i thought was quite relevant um uh which is keytruder and this is a Hodgkin's melanoma's uh, branded medicine, and it, I, from what my source told me, it works through enzyme action. So that kind of makes sense, like the whole lock and key mechanism thing. Um, but then I found another one called Abilkis A B Y L Q I S. And I just think it was how many consonants can they fit together? It's A B Y L Q I S. Um, this is a Arrakis hypogea extract uh, to treat peanut allergies. Yes. Uh, I don't see the relevance here, but maybe I just don't know enough. Uh, yeah, no. No. Um, International marketing? Main name managed by Valkson. It's, it's, it's managed by an international digital market agency. No. So, you know, it helps improve their online digital performance. I think to help them, if they just, you know, got bored and just smashed their hand into the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I th- I'm pretty sure that, that's how things done are, are done. Well, I was just looking at keyboards. A, B, Y, L is furthest left in the middle, furthest right in the middle, in the middle B, in the middle top is the Y. Yeah. B Y L. And then maybe QIS is like a specific um, mechanism. Yeah, maybe. Stupid name. <laughs> Stupid name conventions. Yeah, if someone wants to pay me to name things, I can smash my face on a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Sorry to go back a second to the Bourbons. Yes. Did you know that Paint the Penguins, again, very UK heavy talk here. You Penguins, the biscuits. Yeah, yeah. With the, the jokes on the, the bottom one side of it. Yeah. We, were, used to, we used to go to a school with some kid who used to have one every single day. And that was the pinnacle of his day. And it was just ridiculous. Um, but I they, mean... They were a good time. They were a good time. They were a good time. Uh, it's same biscuits as ball ones, just covered in chocolate. Are they? Yeah. So it's literally just a bourbon? Yeah, it's a bourbon covered in chocolate. No. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you. That's revolutionary. Yeah. That's why. I, you know what? That's the reason why. I, I now know that was the reason why I liked them so much. I absolutely love bourbon. <laughs> Remember that yeah, time that fair. I stayed over at your house and ate a whole <laughs> packet of bourbons while well, playing well, Splinter Cell? Yeah. yeah. And then we, and then we topped that off with KFC. Oh, we did. <laughs> it's a super healthy day. Yeah. But when you oh, could, when your body could handle it when, in, your, in your younger days. Yeah. yeah. Whereas uh, I struggle to step up, get like get up off the floor now without my knee crumbling. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. A fine crunch. Fine a crunch. Fine, a fine delectable crunch. Right. Facts. Fission. Um, Let's go. Fission. Nuclear fission. Fission. Yeah, go in fission. Go in fission. I know I've spoken a little bit here, but I I thought before we speak about fission itself, it may be nice to go on a quick recap of the structure of an atom, Um, because I needed this, just so if we're speaking about atoms colliding Mm. uh, or breaking apart, um, we, we may have a bit of a better understanding of uh, what that means. You got any so, facts before you dive into that? I absolutely do not know. <laughs> feel free to go Once ahead. Once again, I absolutely <laughs> don't have any facts. 
I failed miserably um, <laughs> just every single week. Uh, but I did get the inside scoop of an industry, so may- maybe that that counts for something. Okay. Okay. Maybe. Who knows? I got. I'm telling uh, myself it does. <laughs> nuclear power produced 809 billion kilowatt hours of electricity in 2019. Hmm. Yep. That's uh, a healthy amount. Yeah, United States is the world's largest producer of nuclear power. It generated 8.9. Yeah. That, that, oh, that's just all right. Just in America, that was that 809 billion kilowatt hour. Damn. Um, the to- the highest total ever. It's it's believed that commercial nuclear power plants have supplied around twenty percent of the nationals' electricity each year since the nineteen nineties. Uranium fever. That's crazy. I, I came across a Reddit Uranium. comment the other day. Uh, yeah. The post was about nuclear power plants, and someone was genuinely like, "Oh, those are real." I thought they were just from sci-fi movies. Yes, Chernobyl. That sci-fi movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i just don't think they'd ever really actually thought about it yeah uh, so yeah that's it's like um those people can vote yeah penguins <laughs> Pe- penguins it's like yeah. your penguins yeah it's just yeah you know it's, when you see them in movies you see them on that planet earth 2 thing but they're not real no you've never seen one in real life yeah can't be real can't be real yeah right <laughs> any, any other facts Oh, no, no, that's good. You can, you can continue right. with your structures. Um, so, structures of the atom, then. Um, atoms, essentially, the basic building blocks of matter and are themselves composed of subatomic particles. Uh, the three main ones are being protons, neutrons, and electrons. Protons are positively charged particles, um, and they are found within the nucleus of an atom. Neutrons are uh, electrically neutral particles found in the nucleus alongside the protons. And then electrons are negatively charged particles that orbit the nucleus in uh, electron shells or energy levels. And you can think about uh, the planets orbiting the sun. Each like orbit around the sun could represent a different uh, energy level or shell. They build outwards. Um, as you go out. The nucleus then is just essentially the core of the atom composed of both the protons and the neutrons. And then these, yeah, these electron shells are arranged in specific energy levels uh, and they surround the nucleus and they are labeled with principal quantum numbers. So one, two, or three, with one being the closest to the nucleus and each cell has a maximum capacity for electrons. So in the case of... um, hydrogen helium they fill up the first shells the first shell could only hold up two uh hydrogen obviously doesn't it only fills up the one electron on it um and then every other shell after that can hold up to eight electrons um you have valence electrons which are electrons in the outermost shell of that uh atom and they are electrons that can be shared between atoms and control how different atoms interact with each other and lastly you have isotopes which are essentially atoms of the same element that have the same number of protons but different number of neutrons what this means is that while the overall charge of the atom is the same they weigh a different amount And what we think of as an element, if we think of oxygen or carbon, um, every single element has lots of different isotopes. But the one that we say, oh, that's carbon, um, is just simply the most abundant isotope uh, that we find in the natural natural world. Um, And essentially that just means they have different atomic mass and they can weigh uh, different amounts. So if you have a heavy isotope, it's just uh, carbon with extra neutrons in it, so it weighs more than you may think. Well, weighing is correct, incorrect. It has more mass than uh, the traditional form of carbon. Mm. There's a and yes, ca- there's a capacity uh, formula as well. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So as you go um, out, the capacity changes because it's two eight 
yeah, so the, I'm reading it up quickly because it's one, yeah, two, that's three, for four, electrons, five. not neutrons. Yeah, so this is for electrons yes. that are swinging around the outside. Yeah, the outermost shell has a capacity of fifty electrons. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, so it goes up with each shell, does it? Uh, it's two n squared, so two times the shell number squared. So if you're on number five. You square it, it's 25 times by 2 to get 50. If you're on shell number 4, just 4 times 4 is 16, times 2, 32. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So you're waking up. And then how you get your different elements is the number of electrons and, of course, corresponding protons that they have. Uh, so as you go through the periodic table, each element has an extra electron uh in it and they subsequently fill up the shell like shell one fills up slot one then two then the next electron gets put into shell two in the first position yeah like gem germanium has got one two three four shells and, f and a four valent bonds i'm learning tom i'm learning four valent yeah. bonds yeah so hydrogen has one proton one electron helium has two protons in the nucleus and two electrons in that outer shell lithium has three protons in the nucleus two electrons in the first shell and one electron in the second shell and then you keep going up like that yeah um what's a bit deceptive yes. when we got taught another thing a lot of people if they have a look online to see what the atomic structure is it looks kind of flat and on one plane that is not yes that is not no. how it is it's not, it's how not it is the case no um but it does make it a lot easier to visualize if you're looking at it on, as a 2d structure yeah um because then you can like overlap the shells in terms of like make them look like venn diagrams and then you can it, it makes it easy to figure out which shell uh, atoms may be donating electrons to form this bond and which atoms may be um taking electrons or something like that and then yeah if you look at the periodic table everything in the first column has one electron in its outer shell and then everything in the i think second column has two electrons in its outer shell mm. and then so you can match them up so everything in the first column easily bonds with everything in the last column and then you can go inwards from each end there matching them up yeah um, so i was looking at uh like how the covalent bond works for uh, carbon in three hydrogens. Can't work that out in my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated. It, but, it's um, very complicated, but it's a case of like when you said donating and whatever the proper term was was for it. If you imagine them like touching the sides of the circles together, one has a negative, one has a positive, so it kind of mismatches. Yeah, and that's how you get, you know, things. That's how things exactly. exist in the world. That's how you can touch things. So if we think about H2O, oxygen has eight protons and eight electrons. That means it's got two in the first shell and then six electrons floating in the outer shell. The shells want to get to their maximum number. So uh, if there's only one in there, it probably wants to get rid of it. But if there's six in there, it really wants to get to eight. If oxygen comes into contact with two hydrogen atoms, which each have one electron in the outer shell, they want to share that with something, and oxygen wants two electrons. So it bonds with two hydrogen atoms to make it as if it had eight electrons in its outer shell. Um, and then hydrogen each shares one of oxygen's electrons, so it feels like it's got a full outer shell as well. The atoms just want to hug each other to be complete. Because it's only got one shell, it is two. Because it's two eight exactly. Yeah. Yes. I'm following. I'm following. Yeah. So I hope that makes some sense in an auditory format. Yeah. But yeah, that's the basic structure that we'll be dealing with. But yeah, so I think the main thing to take from from this is nuclei which is just where the protons and neutrons are. Isotopes, where you have more neutrons and it just makes the element heavier. Um, 
is all we really need to understand about it at a very basic level. Yeah. I would say. Yes. To go further, you, you start talking about like the gravitational, uh, not like gravitational, mag- strong magnetic and weak magnetic balls that actually keep them there. Because you may be thinking we're talking about shells and it's like this hard shell. It's more of like uh, the magnetic pole keeps them in a certain orbit around the nucleus. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And it's a perfect balancing act that keeps them in specific locations and what means they can hold more or less. Yeah. And then the the electrons themselves will spin in certain directions as they're orbiting as well. But that's really not something we need to um, dive down into. Worry about. <laughs> if you want to learn more about that, you can go back to our episode on uh, paradoxes, right? I'm pretty sure we covered um, that fairly recently. Mm-hmm. And we spoke about quantum entanglement. Oh, yeah. quantum, the quantum episode. Quantum yeah, episode. so go back to the quantum episode and you, oh, you yeah. can learn about spinning electrons there. Yes, unlocking the quantum realm. Um, but yeah, all right. I've rambled a bit, so what would you what would you like to cover? Where would you like to go from here? I think we just dive straight into nuclear fission, to be honest. Yes, okay. Speaking specifically, fission, not fusion. Yeah. Yes. Fission. We're talking about, because of, due to Oppenheimer, we're talking about explosives the explosive nature of nuclear essentially better way of yeah you know because we're not combining to create heat we are exploding things so nuclear fission is the splitting of a large atomic nucleus into a smaller nuclei yeah sort of mate done that's it done completed it come back next week um they they do use this for energy now as well yeah that's what i mean they 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 fire it too and they glow but they do it under a controlled control because yeah. we're, we're much more smarter now than we were yeah uh well, i'm sure there's a sometimes. bit in the movie where Oppenheimer is just like what have i done and you're like are you are you dumb like where did you think this was, <laughs> this was heading like yeah oh dear. i mean there's been a lot of opposition obviously during the time of like nuclear I, i'm pretty sure it was quite a big secret at the time obviously the manhattan project we've all heard of it now um, which was the, the creation of the first atomic bomb. Uh, but obviously since then, there's been a lot of opposition. I'm sure there was internal opposition within people who knew it was happening. Um, I'm pretty sure from the trailer, he has kind of that moment, but then reconciles within himself that it's either he builds it first or Nazi Germany build it first. Yeah. Um. So maybe that that's one way to kind of get through that. Uh, one of the m- most famous proponents of dearming nuclear devices uh, is famously Albert Einstein. Shortly after the war, he was a big proponent of uh, nuclear dearmament, de- mm-hmm. but obviously that hasn't happened. No. So yeah, it's a a big controversy. Even in today's world, it's a big controversy. Yeah. So the thing about nuclear fusion, it's all a big chain reaction. Fission. Fission. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to do that <laughs> multiple times. It just, it's, just, it's just harder to say fusion than fission than fusion. Um, it is. So what what happens in nuclear fusion? Fission. I've got myself, Tom. <laughs> don't worry. Uh, is a neutron gets fired at a uranium nucleus. Right. And that then splits into two, into a smaller nuclei and neutrons. So you, you you have one neutron that hits the uranium two three five, and that splits into two lighter elements essentially. So it splits into two things, and then fires out another neutron, that then hits also again, a lighter element which then splits into two, and then has a nuclear uh, a neutron that comes out of it, and then hits that lighter element, and so on and so forth. Until it's so small that you know the reaction is not as aggressive, and that's what uh, that's where you get the explosions. Yeah, it's just violent it. uranium hitting, uh, neutron hitting uranium, neutron hitting uranium, neutron hitting uranium over and over and over. Uh, pretty much, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 
You called it uranium-235 there. I did, yes. And that's because it is an isotope. The most normal form, what we consider normal uranium, um, is 238, specifically 238.03. So that's why if we if you ever hear like an element said they're just referring to the most abundant form um, but 235 can be created where you just it's a light isotope so it's got less neutrons in it um, and basically stripping those neutrons away is a, a process called enrichment um, and you basically need to do that uh, to make it suitable for use in nuclear weapons Mm-hmm. So if you ever hear of uranium-235 again, they've enriched it. They've stripped away some of the, the, the weight. Uh, so it's usable in a chain reaction such as this because it's more unstable. Yes. Because if it were stable, chain reaction less likely to happen. You don't want that. And uh, when bombs. you're creating something splody splody Explody splody yeah. You want fast chain reaction. Yeah. So the energy being released is the splitting of... Uh, Essentially, into two, splitting, in, splitting into two the uranium, into two different Which parts. Which is wild. Like it's, it's wild. To I think. know explosions like, it, are just movement of air or atoms splitting, right? But that's crazy. Yeah, because the reason it's so big is like it's one uh, split isn't a massive amount. It's not like you've got the whole explosion is caused by the one splitting of one <laughs> one atom no it's the fact yes. that this one split happens like billions of times in a millisecond and just goes chain reaction chain reaction chain reaction yeah so one of the important things when making such a nuclear device is how much material you've given it to uh propagate along yeah. right as well but yeah crazy really crazy Mm-hmm. Just that amount of energy can be released from a, such a tiny thing. Yeah, and just rips off paint. Do you know on, on the Joe, <laughs> Joe Rogan podcast? Great entertainment. Oh, yeah. Don't take anything he says as news. It is ridiculous. And a conspiracy yeah. theory, conspiracy theorist on about uh, nuclear, uh, the nuclear test and saying how they all faked. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, but, classic. Like the cameras. I'm like. Yeah, they put special shielding on the cameras because they wanted to record. And they made, like, there were shanty houses that they put together quite quickly because obviously they didn't want to build a full house there. Yeah. Like, that's why the house goes, but the camera doesn't. Ridiculous. Yep. Ridiculous. They used very special boxes that were lead-lined and a series of mirrors to get that footage. Yeah, because it um, And in some the, of the um, footage, you can see the mirrors break. Yes. And the... Yeah. Uh, has the it has the effect of like spotting isn't that, is that what it's called? Um, because I don't of know. the the reel that they use to make the the filming. Oh right, yes. Uh, it gets uh, like imagine like X rays against um, of your like your arm. The yeah. when it gets hit with those particles, it causes white spotting because the different reels are being hit at different times. Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah. All right. Chain reaction. And like if you think about this in the in the the concept of maybe a nuclear power plant, they can use exactly the same process um as well as nuclear fusion, which is uh, the big one that m- most people use, but they can use nuclear fission. Um and essentially what they do there is they control the rate at which material is exposed to the chain reaction event and keep it constant. That way um, it can never get out of control and explode. Um, it can just it's the, the the reaction stays at a steady rate. Yes, it needs to be and then energy. Yes, exactly. And then whether you boil water from that energy release or it's always boiling water. I don't think we've talked about this before, and I I always think it's really funny that no matter our technical advances in uh, energy, it's always comes down to boiling water to turn a turbine yeah it's weird isn't it i think think (laughs) what we struggle with is taking direct heat and turning that into energy so we take the heat and get that to boil water 
and then we just get the movement of steam which has to lose so much energy right yeah so much energy has to be lost in this process Mm. yeah i don't know yeah well they're smarter than me and that's what they decided (laughs) is most efficient so we'll go with it what was the biggest bomb do you know do you know this this is like a pub quiz thing the biggest nuclear bomb ever detonated ever detonated or, or used in combat not using combat no detonated no i don't even think i know the names of the the ones that were used in combat i think uh, fat boy comes was, to mind it was yeah it was fat boy and big something rather because that's from fallout okay. they call the, the weapon they call it fat boy um, okay it's the czar bomber oh yeah it's the the russians uh, on October 30th, 1961, uh, set off their Tsar bomber, the largest nuclear weapon ever detonated, with a yield of 100 megatons. Wow. Uh, a flare was visible at a distance of more than 1,000 kilometers. It was seen in Norway, Greenland, and Alaska. <laughs> okay. Uh, the nuclear mushroom, the mushroom cloud, is the plume that goes up. Uh, rose to a height of 67 kilometers. Uh, the hat was two-tiered because it was so big. The second upper tier was estimated to be 95 kilometers high. Uh, the cloud wow. was observed uh, 800 kilometers from the explosion site, so still, that would be in Norway. Uh, the blast circled the globe three times. So oh. you, you could hear it. Uh, with the first one taking 36 hours and 27 minutes. A seismic wave in the Earth's crust generated by the shock of the wave of the explosion circled the globe three times as well. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. The atmospheric pressure wave resulted from the explosion was recorded three times in New Zealand. Uh, the station in Wellington recorded an increase in pressure at 10 o'clock on October the 30th at uh, and then again at 7 o'clock on October the 31st and then again at November the 1st at 9 o'clock in the morning with amplitude of 0.6, 0.4 and 0.2 millibars um, with the average wave speed of being 303 meters per second. That's crazy. So routers on the YouTube have a video up of the Saar Bomber uh, explosion. They're saying Russia released released the footage eventually. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. It now it comments was... are turned off, and I wonder <laughs> whether that's uh... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not surprised. Not not surprised, but the mushroom cloud is insane. Yeah, that is that's wild. That is wild. Yeah, 1961. Absolutely ridiculous. Glass glass uh, windows were shattered uh, 780 kilometers from the explosion uh, in a village on Dixon Island. Um, yeah, the sound wave generated by the explosion reached Dixon Island at a distance of 800 kilometers, but there were no reports of destruction or damage to structures even in the urban type settlement of Amanda, which was closer. Um, so, yeah. Uh, the ionization of the atmosphere caused interference to radio communications even hundreds of kilometers from the test site for about 40 minutes. Bloody hell. Yeah. Uh, radioactive contamination of the experimental fields with a radius of three kilometers in the epicenter of the area was no more than one milloentogen an hour. The testers appeared at the exposed site two hours later. Radioactive contamination posed practically no danger to the test participants. Because it was over such a large area that things were dispersed. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's just wild. It is uh, just wild. Um, there were reports of like when they the Americans were testing it that they would put their like hands in front of their face. They were initially were told to face away from the initial explosion, but yeah. the um, pilots that dropped it then flew away, put their hands up to cover their eyes, and essentially uh, recounted they could see their bones through their. Um, skin because it was so bright like they were, they, ah. they were using their eyes as essentially an x-ray that's wild yeah and they had special glasses on as well to, to stop them from being, from going blind yeah I mean obviously 
a lot of, I want to say malpractice <laughs> back then. I, I've definitely seen an interview or two of like soldiers who were on like boats when they were testing these kinds of things um, and definitely weren't stationed far enough away. Oh, yeah, there's um, the guy on the atoll. Who, yeah, and he was just told like the amount of heat that you could feel, even though you were many kilometers away. Yeah, um, yeah, because that's kind of crazy. Because I had a look at the different types of nuclear testing, and that was the underwater testing they did. Yeah, so I'm actually looking at footage of that now. You can find that pretty easily on there. On is YouTube. a VR experience on the Quest Two that you can do. That is oh, is of, there? of that? Yeah, and essentially you stand there. And then, yeah, it just comes towards you. Terrifying. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so what I've so in these like, experiments, they were like, oh, we'll, we'll do it underwater because that will put less radiation into the air and, of course, um, not be as damaging. But just, I just, yeah, <laughs> I just don't know if that's the case at all. Well, like, so much material comes up into the air. Just I just think about the destruction of like underneath the water um yeah wild yeah they don't cause like yeah, fallout as we know it but it does underwater tests close to the surface can disperse large amounts of radioactive particles in water and steam and steam contaminating nearby ships and structures that they usually do not create fallout other than the local locally to the explosions the tests of this nature have been conducted uh to evaluate the effect of nuclear weapons against naval vessels such as operation crossroads and to evaluate potential sea-based nuclear weapons such as torpedoes or depth charges. Um, the devices are normally detonated underwater, usually moored to a ship or a large barge, which is obviously subsequently destroyed in the explosion. Yeah. You can imagine. You can imagine. You can imagine, so, yeah. yeah. There's atmospheric testing, underground testing, and exo-atmospheric testing. Is that like space? Uh... Yeah, above the atmosphere, yeah. So the test devices okay. are lifted on rockets and the high altitudes nuclear explosions can generate a nuclear electromagnetic pulse or an NEMP uh, when they occur in the ionosphere. And charged particles drilled simple mass can cross hemispheres following geomagnetic lines of force to create more display and knocking out uh, tech stuff and killing people. If you watch World of Worlds. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then obviously atmospheric testing is in, the, is in the air, just like United States, Soviet Union, China have all conducted. But then underground testing is a bit different. Yeah. Because it's underground. And at varying depths. And you, there's also videos of that, but that was um, tested a lot by United States and Soviet Union during the Cold War. They used to do it underground. Um they had they normally had like vents to the surface uh okay and because of these vents um radioactive, radioactive debris actually came out up the vents even though they were testing it underground and caused some issues also seismic activity um and craters yeah and i, and I know like during the war i, I th well it must have been after because we we spoke about earthquakes right um the the global network of seismometers can actually detect because uh, they, they will triangulate the position of supposed earthquakes, right? Yes. But if it's not along a fault line, you're kind of like, well, someone's doing something. Yeah, someone's doing something. There was actually the Threshold Test Ban Treaty signed between the United States and the USSR, and they both agreed to limit the maximum yield of underground tests to 150 kilotons. How noble of them. How noble of them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, yeah. um, or the YouTube channel in a nutshell if you, you yes. search for that you'll, you'll, you'll find them they've done a, quite a few videos on this and explain it really well um, but they've done a video called what if we detonated all the nuclear bombs at once uh, what if we nuked the moon what if we detonated a nuclear bomb in the Marianas Trench um, and then also what happens uh, if you were to nuke a, a city with current technology um so yeah, some horrifying stuff, but yeah, uh, interesting to understand the, the mechanics. Terrifying. I live, <coughs> excuse me, in the southwest, where there is a facility that has uh, nuclear power, um, and 
every Monday morning, they do a test. The alarm goes off and it's terrifying because I always forget it's Monday and that the test goes on. <laughs> so oh, really? out of nowhere, if I've got the window open, there'll be a... I had no like, idea oh, that happened. Time to run. Yeah. Yeah. How long does the test last? Uh, I believe it's like five minutes. Um, oh, so you've got to wait five minutes before you know whether it's actually real or not. But I guess you just got to hope that they that actual emergency doesn't happen at exactly that time. Yeah, probability space. <laughs> you're probably good. Um, but yeah, because I, I was talking to a coworker who worked down there at some point, and uh, he said that it wasn't actually if a, like a nuclear strike was happening, as if one of the engines or where they were testing it had a leak and was leaking radiation into the surrounding area. Oh, okay. So it's not like the well, alarm goes off sense. and then I've got five minutes to come to terms with my inevitable death. My soon to be having death is, okay, we can yeah. get in the car and drive out of the area. That makes sense. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Well, good to know. Yeah. Yeah. We have that, uh, but just for the fire alarm on the Tuesday in the office, and that's annoying. So I can't imagine a, a nuclear one. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we've got about four minutes left. Uh, anything you'd like to cover? No, I think that won't take more than four minutes. Okay, I've got a quick tidbit then on uh, the nuclear fission in medical treatment. Um, I've got one for medical imaging, which uh, relies on the positron emission tomography. That's a lot of words. And, uh, or, or PET. I'll just refer to it as PET. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So PET uses positron-emitting radioactive isotopes such as fluorine-18. And if we look at the periodic table, we can see, try and find fluorine on here, which is just F. Uh, Its normal atomic weight is 18.9. So they've just enriched it a tiny bit. Um, They are produced in particle accelerators through nuclear reactions involving nuclear fission. When these isotopes decay, they release positrons, or positively charged electrons. Do not ask me how that works. It's it's a thing that we just accept. Um, now, these positrons annihilate electrons when they are fired at a human. So they'll f- <laughs> annihilate the electrons inside your body. The electrons inside your body that have been destroyed will produce gamma rays. These gamma rays are then detected by the PET scanner, creating a detailed images of uh, metabolic processes and helping diagnose conditions such as cancer, heart disease, and neurolog- neurological disorders. Um, so I guess this is your PET scan, right? Mm-hmm. This is your your, your PET scan. Um, I'm trying to see, is this like the big circular thing? Yeah, this is the big thing. You lay down on a table and then they pass you through a... Big circular magnet machine thing. Magnet machine. Um, Similar to MRI and CT, but an MRI uses magnets and radio waves. The CT scan uses X rays in three dimensions, and the PET scan uses uh, these uh, positron emitting radioactive isotopes. Um, And then you actually have some cancer specific treatment. Uh, the boron neutron capture therapy, or BNCT, is a, where a patient is admis- administered with a compound containing non-radioactive boron, boron-10 specifically, which is a stable isotope of boron, um, which means it doesn't d- decay. Um, but it does have a high propensity to capture thermal neutrons. Again, they're just neutrons... They exist. We don't really need to worry about exactly what they do or where they came from. During uh, therapy, a patient is exposed to a beam of neutrons, typically generated through nuclear fission in a research reactor. When those neutrons interact with the boron-10 atoms, in uh, specifically they're injected into a tumour, they undergo a nuclear capture reaction, producing alpha particles and lithium nuclei. These alpha particles have a very short range and high energy, which allows them to selectively damage the cancer cells containing the boron compound while sparing surrounding healthy tissues. This targeted approach helps minimize damage to healthy cells and improves the effectiveness of cancer treatment. Um, so it's, I guess it's just like a, a way to highlight 
we've gone from explode explode to energy and specific uh, treatment. And I think that's a place where I definitely wouldn't have expected to find nuclear fission mm. um, in, in medicine and medicinal treatments. So that was a surprise to me. Of course, I'd heard of radiotherapy and that kind of stuff, which is derived um, from a fission process, but is not as directly linked as uh, these ones are. Yeah. Have you ever had yeah. a radio tracer? No, you I've not. PET scan. Um, no, I've only ever had x-rays uh, when I broke uh, my arm. I've had it twice. <laughs> okay. Uh, do, you, do you want to talk us through that experience? Once, back in the day, when they were trying to find out what was wrong with me, um, they didn't. Okay. No one knows. Fun. Still up in the air. And then I had to have it when I had the pulmonary embolism. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. It's something to called fluorodeoxyglucose, FDG. Oh, so it's a sugar. They inject it into your body. Yeah, they have to pair it with something that's not going to be completely rejected by your body. Yeah, no, that's true. I just, yeah, I don't know why. I just never expected it to be glucose, but it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it makes you yeah. flush with a lot of heat. <laughs> you get very, very warm very quickly. Oh, okay. Makes you feel like a pee yourself. And is that the radioactivity? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's that's what it got explained to me. It was like, that's what you're feeling. Um, it doesn't last very long. Oh, okay. Um, and then it then it goes. Then you have to sit outside. Like away from people? No, no, because <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's internal. <laughs> I can't, I don't think it's something that can break the skin. That's why they, they use it for the, yeah. the, the, the scan. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's cool. There we go. Very cool. All right. I guess that will uh, bring us to the end of the episode then. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. I just remember when I was having the scan, uh, I had a head issue. Probably I was in my line. Couldn't lie flat on my back with yeah. being able to breathe. Yeah. Um, and they were like, can you just lay down for us so we can get you in the, the PET scanner? And I was like, No. <laughs> I can't. I watch me and I was like, if I lie down, I'm not going to be able to breathe. And they're like, no. I can put hands above your head. And I was like, just about. But then I spent the whole time like G-locking. Have you seen those, those videos that the, um, when pilots go in for G-force training and they go in like the central right. fugal thing and they have to told like to, to hold their breath and be like, because <laughs> you have to take okay. small deep breaths a lot. I essentially G-locked yeah. in a PET scanner. <laughs> So I didn't uh, try to not move because uh, I couldn't breathe. Funny. Oh, G-force induced loss of consciousness. G-lock. Yeah. Yeah, you got to you got to G-lock yourself so you don't pass out. Oh, that's 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 spicy. Yeah, that's actually what I was doing. It was oh, spicy times. Yeah, fun fun times. Yeah, fun, fun times. times. Yeah, that was once you actually learned to say no. You know. What do you mean? Is there not the story of you like lying down and just bearing the pain because you you, you didn't want to be like oh it's it's fine oh uh, no that was <laughs> <laughs> that was just me being the polite UK British gentleman be like oh are you in pain it's like you're right and I'd be like yeah no I'm good I'm good and then Grace being beside me like no he's not okay he's standing up because he can't sit down because it's too painful. And I was like standing up, I'm like, yeah, no, if I stand up, it's fine. And they were like, right, yeah, that's fine, good. And she was like, no, he's not fine. <laughs> he's not fine yeah. at all. And they'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not good. I'm not good. What's, what's your pain yeah, on? Like, we're zero quite to judgmental to ourselves, aren't we? Like, no, I'd say, like, I'm, I'm at a cool eight right now. And they're like, oh, you don't seem like you're an eight. I'm like, I oh, trust me. Uh, I can't lie flat because I can't breathe. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Oh dear. Well, we're not there anymore. No, no. So that's good. Gonna be on Bluthiness the rest that's of my life, good. though. Fun. Um, Fun. Yeah. Maybe you could name them. Or like Tim. <laughs> well, now we know the naming convention. You just get your own. <laughs> Smash. Your own uh, well, it's called a Pixaban, so that could be. Pixaban. Yeah, Pixaban. P I X A. Yeah, a Pix. Yeah. Oh, that's, that is wild. 
Um, yeah, that doesn't seem to have any relevance to me. So they don't. Maybe the ban. Some drugs have end in a the ban. Because it's replaced um, warfarin, I think. Fair. No, no, it's still it's it's a more well used. I think the more aggressive one is warfarin. Uh, okay. Um, like the day to day blood thinner, because it's less likely to cause major bleeding. Well, that's always good. Less likely to cause. Less likely, of course. Yeah. I can't have um, ibuprofen. Because uh, if you didn't know, if you have ibuprofen and you, you're not used to it, or your stomach lining, stomach lining doesn't like it, it'll strip your stomach lining and make you a bit ill. Um, yeah. Now, if you're on blood thinners and your stomach lining starts to bleed, good luck. Um, hopefully, oh, that just doesn't stop. Hopefully, you get Isekai'd into a new world and uh, you have a fun time there. Yeah, because it's it's incredibly hard, and if you don't catch it, you have to. Because there are, and the opposites of blood thinners, like coagulants, and you, yeah. you have to go and get the coagulants. Otherwise, uh, things things are bad for you. Yeah, that does not sound great. What? Does not sound great. Okay, keeping ibuprofen away from you then. Yeah, good stuff. More nothing. Means if I have like do any sort of like exercise and I got like achy legs or anything like that, I can't. I can go for paracetamol, but that's it. Hmm. Yeah. Fair. All right. Well, that cheery note. On that. Cheery well, end the episode. Note. Yeah. Well, it wasn't. Thanks for joining know, us. Nuclear bombs aren't really. It's not really a cheery. No, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> well. On any note, then, we shall leave you. Uh, thanks for joining us today. If you want more fun information, science, then you can follow us on Twitter and TikTok at InfoEntropyPod, Instagram InformationEntropyPod, and, of course, whichever directory you're listening to on, on to this now. That was English. Um, if you give us a rating, a follow, a like, whatever it is, we appreciate it massively, and it helps us tailor the show to the needs of your beautiful faces. Anything to uh, tag on the end there? No, that's it for me. Awesome source. We'll catch you guys the next week. Peace. Ciao for now.